When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Talking City podcast, your Manchester City podcast from the Manchester Evening News. My name's Joe Bray, back again after a, uh, well, I would say a fairly routine Champions League win, but it was anything but, wasn't it? It was 2-0 down at half-time against RB Leipzig City. Only needed a point to top the group, but it looked like they weren't going to get it. And then uh, a second half turnaround ensured that City do top the group. They are uh, first seeds for the last 16 and they have a game in Belgrade in a couple of weeks where they don't really need to do anything. But um, yeah, that Leipzig game, Simon Bykowski, wasn't <laughs> wasn't how we thought it would go, was it? It was strange, wasn't it? And, um, you know, I feel like the last time they were 2-0 down at half-time was maybe Tottenham at home. So nice, nice symmetry there. But um, yeah, you turned to me at full-time and said, oh, you know, well, that was, they were always going to win that, weren't they? And I, I really didn't think so. Um, I couldn't see that they were just going to find that winner, but... They won 3-2. They only needed a draw in the first place. Um, but there was kind of enough um, on the night for Pep Guardiola to be a little bit concerned about his team and their level at the moment, which makes it interesting. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's a game of two halves. So that's, and it definitely was on, uh, on Tuesday, wasn't it? It was an awful, awful first half. I said I thought they'd win because as soon as they got that first one and they made the changes... City do that, don't they? The 2-0 deficits don't really phase them anymore. But we also said we don't think we've seen them play as bad as they did in that first half for a long time. Probably that Tottenham game in, was it January? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can't remember a press box like that at halftime. Everyone was just like wide-eyed with each other being like, what have we, what have we seen? What's going on? And like, you know, before anyone starts our negative media, like, Phil Foden said it's the worst he's ever seen them play in the first half. So we can say that because Phil said it. Um, yeah, it was it was bizarre. Like everyone was was off it, um, and the defense in particular. I mean, Rodri wasn't great, sort of shielding the defense, but Ruben Diaz had a nightmare. A Kanji, like just did an error that like a Sunday League defender would be embarrassed by. Um, Walker, Gavardiol, like Ortega was in there instead of Edison, couldn't do much with anything. But it, he, they just kind of, they were poor in the attacking third, and then they just let RB Leipzig run loose through them. It was, it was so strange. And and like you know, the second goal, say Diaz gets rolled, um, in like ten fifteen yards into the Leipzig half, but then the fella just goes straight down the pitch, cuts inside Gavardiol and scores. Um, and Diaz couldn't make that full challenge because he'd been stupid and got booked before. Um, but even so, I don't think like enough has been spoken of it. But like, yeah, some guy just ran the length of the pitch and scored, and there was like no challenge from City whatsoever. So Diaz was really bad for the goal. But where was everyone else? It was we were just stumped at half time as to you know where where the City team were because they certainly weren't on the pitch. 
but it's not like there hadn't been one because Appender's goal in Leipzig was a simple ball through the middle and he was one-on-one -on -one with the freedom of the pitch and the goals that they scored, I'm trying to remember, this conceded against Young Boys, haven't they? And, and Red, Red Star. Star. Yeah. It's the same goal, isn't it, in the Champions yeah. League and then Appender does it twice where he gets a free run because the defenders do something stupid or just aren't there. I think Guardiola said, yeah, it is a bit of a concern that they're conceding the same goal. It is and it will also be a concern kind of coming only two games after conceding four at Chelsea. Um, you know, the the Liverpool goal was a, a bit of a, these things happen, but um, but they didn't defend well against Chelsea and they've not defended well against Leipzig. And, you know, maybe there was a bit of mentality feeling like they'd already qualified and, you know, a team that goes out to win every game knowing they only needed a draw, maybe that was a bit behind it. Um, but even if that was behind it, well, that's a concern as well because, you know, Guardiola needs his players to be on it every game and 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 they weren't. So, um, yeah, it was, it, it was difficult um, to watch them and think, are these the team that won the treble? And because the, you know, the treble was, was built on a phenomenal defence um, and, yeah, it was, it was not like the City team that we're used to watching. I should have got the stats up, but it feels like they are conceding a bit more. They, they're still winning and, and scoring goals at the other end, but... Yeah, they're not kept many clean sheets at all. I think it's one in the Champions League in five and not many, I would say three or four in the Premier League. Um, they're conceding avoidable goals and they're doing avoidable things like Diaz getting that yellow card or um, Akanji letting the ball through his legs or through him. It's... Um, they, they're doing the basic things wrong and I think maybe like the Liverpool goal was the exception because it wasn't really clear that anyone had done uh, it was a good goal yeah yeah um, but for a lot of these goals that they're conceding they're not defending very well and that isn't to say that they're not defending well for sort of 88 minutes of a game but it only needs 30 seconds 10 seconds of bad defending to concede a goal so we're seeing them kind of not keep a lot of clean sheets and you can't always rely on a big comeback we know City can do it yeah yeah one and, day no and you can't and also Edison has been very good recently um and Edison has made a lot of saves more saves than he normally would or has done in the past so in which case you sort of they could have conceded even more <laughs> what, what could happen there um I mean second half he makes the changes doesn't he, he takes off Diaz who yeah had a shocker and he should really got sent off, shouldn't he, just before the break yeah. for the second yellow. Um, Ake comes on, and then we see Doku and Alvarez brought on about five minutes later. Immediately, Alvarez is involved and helps Foden feed Haaland one back. And then that's when I'm thinking it's a matter of time because yeah. they, were, they just look better. It was, it was a bit like Leipzig away when Alvarez and Doku came on at 1-1, 15 minutes to go, and were just a bit more direct and just forced the issue a bit more. Yeah, um, Ake as well was superb. Like, he was great against Liverpool. Um, it's just unfortunate that kind of he pocketed Salah all game, but Salah got free to pass to Alexander-Arnold for the goal. But, like, he was really good. And then he was really good again um, when he came on. He sort of, like, he did what Diaz should have done and just kind of, like, took control, kept everything calm. Um, and, yeah... Uh, Doku and Alvarez certainly helped also Foden Foden really came to the party in the second half 
Um, but it was it, it was interesting because sort of you, you you watched Haaland all night like running running in behind the defence. So often he was like ready to go, and it was Bernardo Silva or someone or like just didn't quite find the pass to him. Um, and it was similar to what Pep was saying on after the Liverpool game. You know, like if De Bruyne or Gundogan had been there, that ball gets played, and then you're talking about a, a sort of a very different night. But for all the problems and concerns that we've identified from that first half, City played like the worst we've seen them play in ages and still beat a team that had already qualified for the last... They, they beat one of the best 16 teams in Europe um, despite having an atrocious 45 minutes. So that tells you how good the team is and how good the team can be. Um, and, you know, credit to to Alvarez, Doku and Ake, but also Foden and, and players who really kind of stepped it up in that second half. I think Malakovo was the Leipzig manager came out afterwards and said, yeah, we were 2-0 up, but we made them angry. And we knew at half-time that 2-0 against City doesn't necessarily mean much. It's always that thing when you're playing a really good team, you want to score kind of as late as possible yeah. so they have as little time to, to respond. There was a response from City, but I was still kind of like, yeah, the the third goal pretty came pretty late, and I I was kind of feeling that City had settled for for two two when they uh, they popped up with that that third goal. But yeah, I mean, again, would Leipzig have played a bit differently if they hadn't already been qualified, or if they'd needed to get something from that game to to qualify? Maybe, um, but that shouldn't kind of take away from from the comeback. I think if you offer Leipzig second place in the group with a game to spare. Yeah, and group with the with the winners from the season before you, they take that up. Oh, absolutely, and also a Leipzig that have lost like a load of key players over summer. Like always, one of the most interesting clubs in Europe, but particularly this year, um, lost Guardiola and Sabozlai and all manner of players, and they're just like not fussed. No, we'll come come second really easily. You know, could have could have beaten City on the on the night, so they will. I, you know, I think they might surprise some people in the last 16 and maybe maybe push through to the quarters, depending on the draw. Certainly the two toughest games that you've had in, in the group so far. Um, we will leave that there. We'll come back after a short break and discuss a couple of individual performances and uh, a couple of wider bits of City news that we've heard this week. Hello, welcome back to the Talking City podcast. A uh, couple of individual performances we've touched on. Uh, Ruben Diaz, not great, hooked at halftime. He's not sort of reached the heights that he did last season, has he? He's, he's got, it feels like he's having two or three good performances and one not so good. Yeah, although, you know, it should be said that he didn't really hit the heights last season until February. He was out of the team before the World Cup, really, and then he got injured at the World Cup. And it was only February kind of came back in. Um, so that was kind of, you know, six, seven months of not playing that great or not being at his level. Um, and then he was so good when he came in. It was like, oh my God, this player's amazing. Um, and he's not he's not there at the minute. And maybe, you know, to be expected, every player struggles to be consistent for 12 months. Um, and there are some games where he's still excellent, but... Yeah, just a few concentration errors at the minute and things that he's doing that he wouldn't normally would that are making it more difficult to defend, more difficult to keep 
keep clean sheets. It's not it's not really happening in a vacuum like other players are doing it as well. Um, I thought it was very good against Liverpool actually, but um, but yeah, it's it's not quite happening for him all the time. I think when they're sitting defence, you can there's so many good players you can afford to have a, a not so good game sometimes, yeah. but. On, uh, on Tuesday, Akanji had a not so good game when he let that ball drop and Diaz didn't have a good game and yeah. he's trying to move players around. Um, we heard from Josco Gradio before the game, he was talking about his position and he was saying, he kind of said he wants to play centre-back but accepts <laughs> that at the moment he's playing left-back and then Guardiola comes out and says, yeah, he's playing left-back but not really left-back because he's a, it's basically a back three. Um, they weren't entirely on the same page but it's... Is Diaz's form maybe a, a way that Gavardio can get a few more minutes in the centre? Possibly. Possibly. Or is that a reach there? <laughs> well, no, but then you just think, well, Ake's playing very well and Ake's left centre-back. Um, but then, yeah, but then Diaz tends to play left centre-back with a kanji, so, so quite possibly. It, it, it's interesting with Gavardio because, yeah, it was a strange set of press conferences, wasn't it? Because Pep came out and said... Well, I discovered him playing left back. He, of course, he can play left back, and you know, and it's and it's left centre back anyway. And then Guardiola got asked and was kind of a bit like, "Yeah, I'd really like to play centre back and left back. I have to do loads of running, um, but it's all fine." Um, and yeah, I mean, he looks good when he runs forward, but it, he also looks like a player who who wouldn't perhaps like to be doing as much running as he as he is. I think he looks all right in that position, though. Like the sort of coming inside and into midfield, and he can clearly run, run with the ball, can't he? He looks like a player that isn't fully aware of where he should be or where everyone else is, and that not to sound too harsh, but he, he looks like when he's playing, he's kind of like thinking, "Oh, is there someone behind me that I should maybe be covering?" or things like that when he's moving forward and. Um, he, he has been, teams have been able to get at him uh, down that side. So I, I think he would be more comfortable in the middle, but then you can see why um, Pep doesn't feel the need to put him in the middle straight away because he has the players that he can trust in the middle and somebody at left or, you know, left of a three is kind of less risk than than someone straight in the middle. It's what people have always said about like Kyle Walker, sort of he plays right rather than centre-back because you can afford to make more more errors on the wing than you can in the middle because as we saw, like Manu Akanji makes an error in the middle and it, it's a really good goal-scoring opportunity and it's a goal, whereas if you do that on the flank, maybe you get away with it because you've got cover in the middle. So, so he's being eased in gently. It'll be interesting to see when the move comes to move him into the middle. Um, if it comes, if it comes this season, Chelsea away, United away, Arsenal away at left back. Yeah. And he doesn't play against Liverpool, but Pep clearly trusts him to some degree at left back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, he's a very good defender, and you know he costs seventy-eight million, and Leipzig, Leipzig absolutely love him. So yeah, there's plenty of um, good qualities that he has brought, and also let's not forget he's only twenty-one. Uh, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-one, I think. Um, so he is st still young and, you know, listening to him in his press conference, like he is still green to City and he's um, he's still getting to grips with everything. So 
it will take time. He won't get everything immediately, but he, he's already made a really good impression. I quite liked his press conference because he, he didn't just give you the stock answers. He, he took a couple of seconds to listen to the question, think, like, what do I want to say? And yeah, yeah maybe they'll train that out of him. But. Well, yeah, 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 but not in his first language. He's, like, it, it's like Diaz is one who is like, his English is incredible and he can pick up idioms and he uses them and like, we, we kind of never lose sight of how impressive it is when we're talking to these guys and it isn't their first language and they can just use it so so freely and Guardiola as well just he was really engaged when he talked and he got the questions and and we've spoken to him a few times since he joined and and that was by far the most engaged and the most relaxed he's he's been and the you know the the best he's been from our point of view in terms of being interesting so um so yeah good a good few days for him another sort of young green player Jeremy Doku comes off the bench again changes the game against Leipzig like we said it was a little bit similar to the away game but is he getting to the point where he's either undroppable or the player that you turn to when you need something to happen uh yes yeah, I don't want to like get you off on Jeremy Docker. No, again, no, but... no. But it's it's a very interesting thing because I would say, yeah, he he's he is getting to that point where either you have to start him or you have to consider him as a player to come off the bench. But then, if he is that player off the bench, then he's not undroppable, is he? It, it's um, yeah. it, he's, he's sort of you have to use him, but it's one of those where you sort of have to say. To make clear, like, look, being on the bench is not like a, a a punishment, or it's not someone that's better than you. You feel like he's going to do something. Every the day. best use of you is thirty minutes at the end of the game, or things like that. But you you do feel like he's going to do something, and it kind of um, it should fire up Grealish because Grealish was part of the sort of first half malaise where. Every time he got the ball, he just didn't really want to do enough with it. There wasn't enough drive. It was all safe football. Um, and he gets taken off in the second half and Doku comes on and instantly shows what what was needed to kind of lift the game. Um, and Grealish has been in that position before. Like last season, I think Chelsea, when he came on, he was more urg- he showed more urgency than he had done in recent games when everyone had been getting on his back saying why are Grealish and Mara's playing they're so slow they never go forward and then they just said you know we can do that and we are doing and we've seen that this season from Grealish but if Doku is always there Grealish always needs to be there and can't afford to have a game where he is off it or you know play takes the safe options too too often so so Doku gave a performance that said yeah play me anytime any minutes you like and I will do that and it's going to cause problems for for defenders it was it, it was very very bright very good I feel like we're not quite there yet but we're going to get to a stage where they're pushing each other in a really healthy way yeah well they were a few weeks ago yeah. yeah it was like it that is what you want from them and also you want them to be you want them both to be so good that they can play in the same team together because not only are they pushing each other, but you've got to say, well, actually, you both deserve to play, so you both will play. Um, and that should keep the likes of Alvarez and Foden kind of to keep their level as well. So, yeah, it, it's good. Grealish and kind of swung it a bit his way, and now Doku swung it 
swung it his way. So, you know, if you're talking about who should start against Tottenham, then you'd have to say it's it's Doku's to lose, really. But then it's interesting on the other side where you've got Kyle Walker pushing up and Bernardo or Foden coming inside and then there's now options where you can change it within a game. If you need both of Docker and Grealish on the wings, you can do. If you need a bit more direct, you can ask Foden to go as well. And Or if you want a bit of control, like he has done so often, you can go Grealish and Bernardo. And it's something maybe that didn't have as much last season in terms of options that can change within the game as well. Yeah, yeah. They've certainly become kind of more more fluid than ever. Um, helped by the likes of Bernardo Silva and Foden, who can just play any position on the on the pitch I think um, and yeah that that will that will help Silva's been kind of helping out on the left a bit in recent games and wasn't on on Tuesday night and that was kind of felt um, you know he looks a bit isolated on the right wing rather than he's been playing more central and left um, and the left didn't look as good without him so again that's a reminder to whoever is on the wing to be like look you can't rely on Bernardo necessarily you've got to um, got to instigate things yourself I think the I mean the impression I got was Bernardo was so good hugging the touchline in Leipzig to allow Lewis to do what he did in that game but there were two things I think Leipzig responded to that and also it's a different game so City were probably playing on the break a little bit more but Leipzig were just sort of played it a bit more cautious and, and playing on the break themselves so that tactic wasn't as effective just before we finish this this half Jack Grealish a couple of nice community stories this week uh, just showing again that he's just a really good good ambassador when it comes to that sort of thing he is lovely off the pitch and he does a hell of a lot of work kind of for similar causes that you know he doesn't shout about or anything like that he just does it because he he genuinely cares and it's kind of nice because you know footballers have very busy lives and also they can't You'll often find a footballer with a cause that matters to them or things like that, but they can't have, they can't care about everything because um, there's just too much, too much going on. But it, it's always nice that Grealish, with all his other commitments commercially and things like that, you know, finds finds time and and is happy to to do these sort of things to help in the community and help people who, um, you know, for whom him being there will be. A really big deal and make a difference to them. Yeah, you see the faces of the, the sort of the kids that he's surprising and doing treats for, and like you can tell that they will remember that for yeah, the rest of their lives. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not something that turns off when the cameras turn off either. You know, people who've sort of been with Grealish and say, you know, he, he will go above and beyond and spend time, and and he does, you know, keep things up. There was that thing last year with the World Cup where he met Finley, the the young fan, and. Um, promised to do his celebration if he scored at the World Cup and then he does it and it, it's you know for, again for someone who whose brain must be going at a million miles an hour when the football is on to, to remember those things it is it is really nice that he's got those at kind of the forefront of his of his mind when they don't need to be Absolutely we'll uh, back after another short break to discuss Tottenham uh, and a couple of other things uh, that we've left to the last minute of this podcast Hello, welcome back to part three of the Talking City podcast. Before we get to Tottenham, uh, Simon, a report this week that a trial date has been set 
for City's big showdown with the Premier League, potentially autumn 2024 verdict, summer 2025. City is saying nothing, Premier League is saying nothing, just like last week with the Everton uh, punishment, nothing has changed, but does it sort of underline that this is not going to be a, a quick resolution with the with the charges? Yeah, it's always nice when something like that comes out and you're like, yes, that is what was expected and, you know, what we had kind of thought it it had to be. Um, yes, during the mail, wasn't it, saying late 2024 with a verdict, end of the 24-25 season. Um, we, and it kind of shows how starved we are for information in this case that anything is like clung to and clutched to and and is a big deal and it is a very very big case um it's yeah a long time away um but also it probably helps city and it probably helps other people to um for those kind of dates to be there because then you know, Premier League, Every whenever every, every other club goes to them and says, what's happening with this City case? Why, where do you, you say, right, well, it's at the end there. We're working towards that. And then it'll happen then. And it is a long time away, but it will. It is a hugely complex case and a huge significant case. You know, it's if if a, a murder trial was taking its time in the criminal, you would say, oh, where are you up? Can we just know if he's guilty or not doesn't matter about all the evidence just sort of decide on what you've got just won't happen so um it's proper that it takes the right amount of time to to do it and also maybe the fact that it's been set will help sort of push away those people who are saying oh well city are just delaying city are just using their lawyers to to, to delay like no they are working towards something and they have got time frames so um yeah, a, a positive thing, I think. But if Everton have had to produce, what was it, 40,000 documents to sort of defend their own case, then if City have 114 more charges, then it's going to be longer, it's going to take longer. And uh, I mean, yeah, if it is summer 2025, that is coincides with the end of Pep Guardiola's contract. It's not new information that he will have to make the decision of whether he stays or goes, depending on what, what happens. But that could be a bit of an interesting summer now with uh, a Club World Cup uh, potential potential verdict and Guardiola's future to be decided. Yeah, well, I mean, I was off yesterday, so you tell me you tell me why it's an interesting summer. That's you having talked too much in this uh, podcast, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, it's just, uh, again, not new information, but Guardiola will have to either extend knowing where what City's punishment is if they are punished or not uh, or make the risk of City could be punished and what does he do and he said he'll go down to League One and, and the National League which I would not recommend <laughs> having seen Michael go down to the National League uh, getting beat off at Ebbsfleet is not not fun <laughs> but uh, if Guardiola wants to do it he's, it puts City in an awkward position and it puts Guardiola in an awkward position because if he was thinking of leaving in 2025 it's far more awkward for City to attract a manager to say, come and manage us and you will either be taking hold of, you know, the the best team in Europe who just won the Champions League for a fourth straight year. Football Cup Champions. Yeah, yeah. Or you will be taking charge of a squad who all want out because they've been relegated four leagues and 
they, you know, um, is not quite the job that you thought it was. Now, there are, of course, a range of things that could happen between that. But it, we're, I think we're at the point where either the most serious things are proven and it's terrible news for City or the most serious things aren't proven and nothing effectively happens to them. Um, you know, beyond fines for some of the some of the lesser non-cooperative stuff. Um, so that is all easier if Guardiola says, I'm staying because you don't have to sort of, you don't have to have a plan A and B almost of, um, you know, well, we, we would like to hire Roberto De Zerbi, but we've got Stuart Pearce on standby in case we go down four leagues or things like that, um, to know that Pep will be there, whatever. But it's a big thing for Pep to, it, I'm sure Pep doesn't want his future and what he does with his future determined by, you know, something that has had nothing to do with him. Well, I know City loved the trip to uh, Cheltenham a couple of years ago, and that is a that's like Wembley compared to some of the the National League stadiums. So uh, he'll on a field day down there. Let's get back to this weekend, City versus Spurs. A few weeks ago, this was going to be a, a proper ding dong, wasn't it? But Spurs have had a couple of big injuries, a couple of bad results. City should be winning this one. Should be winning this one, yeah. Um, City on the back of a few not bad results but you know it's not often that they don't win they, they go two games without winning they certainly won't want to go three games without winning because they've they've dropped points against Chelsea and Liverpool so it's important that they get back to winning ways and far more likely to do that against a Spurs team that are ravaged by injuries and suspensions than the Spurs team that were kind of running away with things at the at the beginning of the season. You mentioned it at the start, there will be comparisons to the, the last home game where City were 2-0 down at half-time, came back 1-4-2, Guardiola goes on his big Happy Flowers rant and that was, any sort of look back on the treble winning season will use that as a turning point, won't it? But what, we're nearly a year on, we'll be able to see how much City have learned, what they've changed, that sort of thing whether that attitude is still there and having gone 2-0 down at half-time in the last game. It, yeah, it was mentioned, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it's interesting because these sort of warning signs from the last few games that say, oh, maybe the level isn't quite at it. And, um, you know, the, you can't be at it for 12 months, but it, City weren't at it for enough last season that Guardiola had had enough. And, you know, also important to say that he sort of admitted afterwards he probably wouldn't have said it if they'd lost. So it was only because they came back and won that he felt enabled to really tear into everyone. Um, it's it, it was a huge moment in in the treble. And City Spurs games tend to be kind of more significant than your average game. There just tends to be quite a lot, a lot going on. Um, so it will be good to see, hopefully another very good game of football between two sides who who like to play football and, and two two good clubs. You know, I was on um, a Tottenham podcast this week and, and they were sort of talking about, you know, similar histories of City and Tottenham of like, you know, really big historic clubs with really rich histories, but also kind of have been in the shadow of a very close neighbour for, for a long time. But when they come together, they seem to bring the best out of each other and... Um, and 
really put on a show. Um, and you think back to like the, you know, the Peter Crouch goal when Spurs kept City from being in the Champions League, and then you've had the uh, obviously the Champions League quarter final that was very painful for City, and um, and then all those games at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So so Spurs kind of have had a lot of joy against City, but also there've been some some great City memories against against Spurs. Um, you know, going back to like the Ballet on Ice with Summerby Lee and and Bell who were unveiled this week with a statue weren't they so um yeah there's there's always a lot going on and maybe there'll be less going on than there was at the time of the happy flowers but um i, I think it the, we still won't be short of talking points i think even though they've got the, the, their injuries the way that postacoglu's got them playing we saw that highline against chelsea that we were still talking about the other day and i think it will lend itself to quite an end-to-end game and if City aren't necessarily at the best defensively, then uh, it could be could be another good game. Yeah, I mean, Son is a player who is a bit like kryptonite for City. Just finds a way to to score against them and and excel against them. So um, he will have to be kept very quiet. Diaz or whoever plays will have to be on their on their A game to keep him quiet. And I'd see if uh, Guardiola has remembered who Pedro Poro is as well. Um, I don't think it'll be the best City Tottenham game this season though because the away game is scheduled for the FA Cup semi-final weekend and by my working out the only other time they could play it is the second to last game of the season so if City had to go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium with a penultimate game in the last week of the season potentially in to win Um, and ultimately as we know they will lose 1-0 so we we could already kind of write that write that script now so um yeah, I think I think it will. I mean, it, City have to make their home advantage work because they can't know for sure that they'll be as good away, and certainly away at Spurs, they, they they're just not good. So um, they need these three points ahead of another tricky away game at Villa in a in a few days. So they they can't really afford to to go a third game without winning. Get a score prediction from you. I think it'd be four one. Four four one four two. Four one. I was to say four three. I'm I'm expecting goals so Yeah. Nil 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 one. And <laughs> <laughs> um, before we go, uh we have the new Footballer of the Year uh competition running, which is a award that's been running for the last few years. Uh throughout our titles. Uh obviously Erling Haaland is up for the main award, but uh after his incredible season, he does have some stiff competition. Um, I should look at who, who else is. I think Rodri and John Stones are also on that list. Um, I was then asked to do the City Player of the Year nominations and I didn't put John Stones in, but uh, it's quite hard after Haaland, I think. It, well, it is hard for Stones. Like Stones was incredible for like three months. Um, yeah, like that Champions League final performance will be an all-timer but but he's missed like the whole of this season so it, it's quite hard to say someone's had like an amazing year and at, at the same time like you know I don't think Harlan got nominated in the like November um, Premier League player of the month and whatever and it like, he scored more goals than anyone else but he, he's just like was just like oh yeah that's hard it's his standard like, isn't it? yeah yeah, he scored like 40 goals in three games, but but this guy scored two in four. So well done him. 
and it is like yeah it harland is so far above anyone else it, it's difficult to and you can say yeah rodri's played tremendous all season and you know i'm sure you can make an argument say rodri is more important than than harland is to the team um but it does feel like harland's that it's been Haaland's season and Haaland's year, really, isn't it? Well, I'm sure we'll have uh, more in-depth discussion about this, but I will offer a word, word of warning that Riyad Mahrez won the City <laughs> Award a couple of years ago when he was he had a very good season, but it was not better than Kevin De Bruyne. So, but he has a lot more individual fans. So, uh, if you think Haaland has uh, maybe Alvarez will win it then. Well, he's not afraid he's not nominated. Uh, for the main award, we have Haaland, Jude Bellingham, Rodri, John Stones, Declan Rice, Mary Earps, Sam Kerr, Bakayo Saka, Harry Kane, Mohamed Salah, Ollie Watkins and Kieran Trippier. And then for the City Player of the Year, we have Haaland, Rodri and Bernardo Silva. And I put Jack Grealish, which I feel like lends it. Sort of- well, Grealish, was, Grealish was great from like January to April. But that main award, like again, like Bellingham has had a phenomenal start Um at Real Madrid and if you were doing from August to now then yeah he's probably bang up there is he up there from January to now like was he amazing the second half of the season at Dortmund was he doing amazing things as they sort of dare we say bottled the league I think we definitely say they bottled the league like yeah it's always difficult in these awards not to kind of get swept up in the moment but when you kind of step back and take a a wider glance at it um there is there is one man who scored more goals than everyone else. Well, this is it. I was nominating Haaland and I was like, well, he's obviously going to win, but here are three others. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's won a lot of awards, but this will be by far the most prestigious, even when he wins it. Um, go on the Manchester Evening News website for all the details on that and how to vote. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, wherever you would expect to find us. We are there. Please subscribe, su- subscribe and leave a five-star review if you like what we're talking about over here um, and I'm afraid again we've had some works outside so if you've heard, so, heard some uh, uh, bangs outside that is uh, what it is but uh, yeah we'll be back after the uh, Tottenham game City off to Aston Villa next week and uh, Luton so the, the the games are keeping on coming and uh, they're not easy by any stretch so uh, let's see how City do against Tottenham and we will be back next week thanks for joining us mm-hmm.